Some pundits were being a form of regression from the New York Islanders in 2019-2020. And in the first five games... Them up. Here's Brett and Steve. It definitely showed, but since then, they've forgotten how to lose and continue to pull off comeback victories. The Dallas Stars were in a similar spot. Their first nine games were lackluster, and the future looked bleak for them, but since then, they've turned a corner and are back in the playoff race. What should we make of these two teams? Are their red-hot streaks a sign of future greatness? Episode 195 of the Lace Em Up podcast starts right now. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. Uh, before we go any further into our show, just a little bit of a disclaimer. We're well aware that yeah. uh, there are bigger things happening in the NHL today, things that are a lot bigger than the game itself. Yep. Uh, of course, I'm talking about the questionable conduct of Bill Peters. Uh, it's been talked about at great lengths throughout this week, and rightfully so. It's a serious issue, definitely something that should be talked about. But um, there's still plenty to uncover, and perhaps we get more news on that front next week. So that's yep. why we're not talking about it this week. We're likely going to talk about it next week when we know uh, more information. So not to sweep that under the rug. We just wanted to make it known. We haven't forgot about that story. Yeah. We'll get around to it. We just figured it was best that we wait until all the facts are out. Yeah, I was I was also going to address the elephant in the room, but uh, thanks for doing that for <laughs> me. But yeah, we uh, we've decided since it is such a sensitive issue, and it seems like there's more and more uh, things that are showing up every day. Uh, we're gonna take it. Um, another you know we're gonna give it another week we'll talk about it next week um when we know more um about what's going on um and also another reason why we're doing uh it uh like we're focusing on these two teams this week is because um you know this has been on the docket for a while now uh, we were going to talk about the Islanders and the yep. Stars last week, but then uh, Mike Babcock just had to get fired. Um, speaking of which, he has his own uh, scandal as well now. Um, so we're um, so it uh, so yeah, we've been we've been wanting to talk about the Islanders and the Stars for about like the past uh, couple weeks, in fact. So. Um, and, um, in fact, it's kind of weird cause they may end up, you know, both these teams may end up losing, um, cause they both have these streaks going on. Um, and they've in fact lost those streaks, um, in the meantime, but they could, you know, um, they could, uh, regress even more so. Um, so I think it's good to address this before they end up like losing, like losing everything, um instead so we're gonna start off with the islanders here um because they've been the most impressive team um other than the stars um here well they've been more impressive than the stars i should say uh they had a 10 game winning streak in the month of october um uh they were very impressive there um and then and then they had a 17 game point streak um in you know extended from that uh and they 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 gained no um no points in uh, against anaheim that's when their streak ended um their point streak ended um and all that stuff uh so they've been impressive because i remember you know we talked about this you know two years ago when they lost Tavares. we thought that the islanders you know they weren't going to be good this year you know the next year and all that stuff because they lost their best player and rightfully so i mean like sure we knew that barzal was coming off of this calder trophy season but we felt that like you know Tavares was a big reason you know why teams were um you know were not focusing so much on barzal and if barzal had the attention all the time 
then uh, you know the team, the Islanders wouldn't be as good. Uh, turns out that wasn't true, um, and we also were, but we were in love with uh, Robin Leonard, and Robin Leonard had this incredible season. Um, also, of course, Barry Trotz won the uh, the Jack Adams, and um, and then he also had uh, Mitch Corn in the mix, Lou Lamarillo in the mix. So those are two well-established management people, um, as well as Mitch Corn, who's like a goalie whisperer and stuff. So um, it was kind of like, oh, okay, so Robin Leonard's gone, but certainly Thomas Grice and uh, Varlamov are not going to be a a big pair together. And it turns out that's wrong as well. and uh, in fact, I think they're like they're probably the best tandem I would imagine um, in the NHL. I, I assume you have more stats to back it up, for but sure, for sure, top five, for top three, for sure, top five. Yeah, there. Um, yeah. So Varlamov is. Uh, they both have played seven, uh, thirteen games. Sorry, I can't speak all of a sudden. Um, Varlamov is seven, three, and two. <laughs> With a GAA of 2.5 um, and a save percentage of 918, so he hasn't been as impressive as Thomas Grice, um, who at, who's 10, 2, and 0, um, with a 2.10 um, GAA and a save percentage of 931, which is incredible. Um, so yeah, but that brings us to our first question here um, that I have for you. Um, well, actually. Yeah, so we'll go, we're going a little bit out of order because I was just talking about the goalies. So how did the goalies perform during the streak? What about the tandem of Mitch Korn and Barry Trotz? So, and yeah, so uh, I'll take it to you here. So uh, just just taking a look at, at, at the streak itself, um, because I do think while the goalies have played a role yeah, it's a it's a team game. The, yeah. the whole reason that this is happening is because they're a lot of eye-opening stats um, that just really stunned me when five games of their season, the first four or five games of their season, they were a bottom ten team in generating shots on goal, and during their win streak. That hadn't changed at all. They were still in the bottom 10 and generating shots. And and, um, and that 17-game point streak that started on October the 12th and carried on till November 23rd, like you said, winners of 10 straight. Um, that was the first time they did that since the 80s. Yeah. Since the 1980s, they had won 10 straight games. Not a single player on their roster was very trouble that was. These kind of run if you're a New York Islanders fan, it's just like, wow, they're, they're actually very good. Like, they're better than good. They're great. All right. Um... But they've been quietly great. Um, the Casey Mikas game winner, for example, against weeks ago. That was the 11th fight to score a game winner for the Islanders this year. 11th different skater. Only guy with multiple game winners is Brock Nelson. He's got, uh, I believe, four on the season and... 17 game stretch he had three and again that just harkens back to getting it done by committee uh if you look at matt barzell who led the islanders with 19 points in this run it's in how they were able to find ways to win um And we're down a couple of goals and like five or six minutes left in the third. They scored two to force overtime. Then they went it in overtime. The next game against Philly, same thing. Down two goals with like five or six minutes to go. They scored two goals, force overtime, win again. 
Um, they were down 2 nothing to the Blues early on in their win streak. Um, was like five or six minutes left in the third or something like that, maybe a bit more time on the clock. Either way, they force overtime and they win again. And just the amount of one-goal wins, like 9-0-2 in one-goal games, 11 of their 17 games decided by a single goal, um, 6-0-2 in overtime. Um, there were another four games decided by, by two goals. Um, they gave up two goals in a game seven times during that stretch. And two games where they gave up four goals, they still won. So it it's it just harkens back to getting it done by committee and just showing a lot of team character and just believing in one another and believing in the process. That being said, when it when it comes to the goaltending, I've been very, very solid. With zero shutouts. Didn't record a single shutout. You would think a GAA under two, a safe percentage like that, you would at least have one shutout. No, Thomas Grice had zero shutouts during that stretch. Um. Still one. That's, um, that he put forth during this win streak. Um, but he was still pretty admirable um, and I think a lot of that success you're right has to do Mitch Korn who I don't know if you knew this but back in the day he was the goalie coach of the Buffalo Sabres when some no-name um, oh, what what's his name oh yeah Dominic Hasek before he was a household name Mitch Korn was his goalie coach Next thing you know, he's the best goalie in the league and just right. winning the trophies left and right and even won a couple of hard trophies with the Sabres too. He goes to Nashville with Barry Trotz and he mentors Thomas Bocoon and Pecorine. And then he goes along with Trotz to Washington. He mentors Grubauer and Holtby. And he's doing the same thing again with Barlamov as he did with Leonard um, this year so far. So I just, I just don't know what it is with that tandem of Mitch Korn and Barry Trotz, but everywhere they go, they just bring about great results, and it's never pretty, it's never she, it's it's never these highlight real lacrosse-style goals, you're not blitzing the other team with shots. Yeah. You're just finding ways to win by a team, and it's interesting how a league where offense all of a sudden has gone through the roof a team like the New York Islanders is winning the boring way. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's that's all a good point. You were kind of in and out uh, during that uh, whole spiel, but I got the general gist there. So uh, uh, that's oh, good. Okay. I just wanted to let you know and let the audience know that we're aware of this technical difficulty here. Um, but yeah, the, uh, you know, you, you bring up a lot of good points. I think the goaltending is a big part of, uh, why they are successful. Um, but as you mentioned, it's like, you know, it's not just the goaltending. It's guys like Matthew Barzal. It's guys like Brock Nelson or Derek Broussard, uh, Ryan Pulak, uh, yeah. you know, um, it's, it's crazy thinking that because, you know, like Derek Broussard, I thought his career was over and I forgot that the Islanders even signed him. And then all of a sudden he's like one of their best players um, playing on their second yeah, line. Yeah, not even so, getting paid a million this year. Yeah. Not even getting paid a million this year right. to play for them. Right, and and that's that's the crazy thing about that. Um, another guy that stood out to me so far, um, I'm sure you have some other players, so I'll, I'll <laughs> let you tag along in a second. But Anthony Bol Bolivier, um, I don't know how to, mm -hmm. I think I pronounced that right. Um, he, Beauvillier. Yeah. Um, you know, he has uh, 16 points, but it's in like, you know, he has increased ice time here. Whereas like, you know, he sort of had some decent stats the last three years in his career. He had 28 points and then 36 points the year before that. Like that's, that's okay. 
maybe something more. But then all of a sudden, like, he has 16 points in 24 games. And uh, wouldn't you know, it's because his, like, his ice time has been increased by three minutes um, on average. So, um, so that just shows that, like, they're giving him more more playing time and it's really showing right now um and then other players that like we've talked about like even last year during the playoffs i remember you highlighted ryan pulak and he's he's sort of uh taken another step here in his development where he's all of a sudden um you know like a really good defenseman now and he's you know he's become that power play quarterback that the uh, Islanders need and um, so I I think those three have really stood out to me Um, you know we kind of know what Brock Nelson and Anders Lee are but I I feel like the bigger surprising ones are guys like Derek Broussard and Anthony Bolivier um, and even Ryan Pulak as well because um, you know we didn't really expect them to to be as to do as well as they have done they have been so far. Yeah, especially Derek Broussard in particular. Yeah. Just how efficient he's been um, during this 17-game run. He yeah. scored six goals on just 33 shots. That's an 18.2 shooting percentage. Um, those six who, goals put him in a tie with Beauvillier, Bailey, and Nelson. He's who the um, the Senators expected him to be when they traded for him um, a couple yeah. years ago. Sorry to bring yeah. up old wounds, but I I felt like I had to say that. <laughs> yeah, and and his nine assists are also second on the team, and one behind Barzell and Nelson. And yeah. the dude isn't even averaging seventeen minutes per game uh, during this stretch. He averaged sixteen minutes and twenty five seconds, and um, he even ranks sixth on the team in hits during this streak. He had thirty five hits. Um, you, you talk about you know guys like Brock Nelson you know taking over 300 faceoffs and scoring big goals and guys like Matt Barzell in the top five in zone entries and uh, offensive zone puck possession per game all all the guys that you expect to deliver and then you see a no name like Derek Broussard just you know out of the woodwork and it's just like hey oh right. watch watch me do tricks yeah. <laughs> He's just all of a sudden almost a point per game player during all of this, and and it's just all about different guys stepping up. Like you look at uh, even someone like Devon Tate, who has um, nine, who had nine points uh, during this uh, seventeen game run. Um, you look at guys like Cal Clutterbuck and Casey Sezikis, not only delivering big hits but chipping in with the odd goal and assist here and there. Um, just everyone committing to the team game and just what Barry Trotz is preaching. And another, another thing that, that really shocked me is just their approach to every single game that they play in particular back-to-back scenarios. Um, Ray Ferraro and Darren Dreger were talking on the Ray and Dregs podcast a couple weeks ago and um, Ray Farrell brought up the fact that at the time of the recording, the Islanders were 14-1-1 in the second half of back-to-back games since Barry Trotz took over as head coach. And in the second half of those back-to-back games, I believe they gave up a combined 22 goals. 22 goals in 16 games. And they won 14 of those 16 games. And part of it is just cutting through the BS and the coach delivering a message in the short term and the long term that players are going to buy into. And it, it it's just something about realizing it doesn't matter how tired you are or how, how tired the other team is. They want the two points just as bad as you. So what are you going to do to go out there and get it done and get the win? Yep. And that's ultimately how it comes down to. You just go out there and you play hockey and you try to get results every night. It doesn't matter if the odds are stacked against you. It doesn't matter if you have to kill all seven penalties to get the win. You just do whatever it takes. And the Islanders, you know, they could have packed up everything and, you know, gunned for a lottery pick after Tavares left, but they didn't. And they finished a top 10 team in the league 
the best defensive team in the league last year, and they're doing it. And they're doing it again this year without right. Robin Leonard, without John Tavares, without Artemi Panarin, who chose the Rangers over them. Yeah. Well, I don't know if Panarin counts as an Islander, but <laughs> I almost an Islander. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I do I do agree with that sentiment. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that like Barry Trotz isn't in fact a very good coach, um, and uh, he can bring out a lot out of these players that um, you know maybe not so much you know maybe not a lot of other coaches could do. Um, and I think there is like a like a fact of like maybe the, I'm taking you into this like psychology I guess but or yeah. philosophy like there's a, like a no one believes in us kind of philosophy where um, like when a when a team loses a couple of these players um, that then everyone else in the room is like wait a second we're we're still good you know we don't need this guy here it's not like he was the guy who um who solely drove our you know our ship or drove our team even though that may be true or not it's like they you know they can kind of rally around the fact that everyone um except for the fans were were did not believe that the islanders would be in the playoffs and all of a sudden they are there so it kind of gives them a little sense of like of uh, confidence for them and and stuff like that where um you know when people don't believe in you in a weird way it kind of makes them angry to prove them otherwise in a way so i think there is that aspect as well um and it's just a part of their identity um yeah and and i think it also comes back to having competency in all facets of the organization which the islanders didn't have for years they have a competent gm they have a competent coach with a plan in place that they feel confident in and they feel confident the players can buy into that plan it you're not going to get these type of results on you know an unflattering non-sexy team that is run by the wrong people the team is run by the right people and I think that's a big reason why they've been able to do so many good things is because they have a process and they're patient with it and 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 they have a GM that can find guys that fit into Barry Trotz's system and uh, Barry Trotz has always been a coach even in Nashville some of the Nashville teams they wouldn't overpower you offensively but he could always find a way to get the most out of his players and get results and it's when you have that kind of an approach that regardless of how much the game has changed over the years, especially the last couple of years, Barry Trotz has been able to withstand the test of time and continue to win with his current formula and maybe adapt a little bit. But other than that, for for the majority of his career, it's been relatively the same approach for Barry Trotz. It's been you know Mitch Korn by his side you know there's been some sort of consistency there and it just somehow continues to work for him yeah um yeah I guess Mitch Korn's just this like goalie whisperer or something like that so um yeah there's something to that um and then the last question we have here is can the Islanders continue their strong play moving forward um yeah I mean just like we just talked about, um, you know, I think Barry Trotz has the has these groups of players buying into the system, and that their identity is pretty strong as well. So I think they can, um, you know, they can rally around this, and um, eventually, um, you know, well, they'll definitely make the playoffs. Um, but I don't know how far they'll go. Um, because eventually I think there are a lot more talented teams out there. So I'm doing it again, I guess. But, um, but I, I, I think it's one of those things where like last year you can kind of take it as like a fluke. It's like, oh, they can't do it again. And then, then when they do it again, it's like, they're proving me. So now I'm less likely to believe that this is a fluke, uh, because they've been good for so long. So, um, so maybe they will, you know, make it far in the playoffs and, and all that stuff. But um, at the moment, I think um, I, I think they just make the playoffs and uh, they don't do a ton 
uh, um, when they than when they win, when they're in there. Yeah, well, they're yeah. It's it's kind of tough. I think the Islanders actually build for playoff hockey. Okay. You know that you get all the skill you want in the world, but you know if if the other team just just uh, gives you like a stalemate for like three or four games and all you can muster is, you know, just a handful of goals like the Penguins did last year. All of a sudden your season's over in four straight. So it, it doesn't have to be pretty. And it wasn't pretty for the Islanders last year when they advanced to the second round, but it was effective and they got the results they were looking for. And um, there are a couple of reasons for this. Uh, Elliot Freeman of Sportsnet uh, told the story of one coach um, that explained how his team's internal metrics indicated no other team spent more time in their own zone than the New York Islanders. And he wondered how that was possible. So he took a look and the result that he came up with was they let you go where they want you to go. And that's on the outside. You get time in their zone, but you don't get the quality chances you're looking for. And they're able to grind you down with the bottom six grit. Like I said, Guys like Cal Clutterberg, Casey Sezikis, Scott Mayfield on defense. Um, this is a team that averages over 29 hits per game, top five in the league. Um, and there's another aspect of their, I guess, defensive attack that they use um, called the dump and chase. And Mike Kelly of The Point wrote a fantastic article um, on this. Um, I would suggest going over to Mike Kelly's Twitter. It's um, it should be one of the first tweets that you see. I'll probably include the link uh, when we tweet out the podcast link as well, because uh, there's a lot of good things. And um, what's interesting is that um, what Mike Fel- Kelly found out is that the Islanders were one of the best in the league uh, in dumping rate at five on five and carrying success rate at five on five. Top 10 in both categories this year and last year. In fact, last year they were first in both. Um, and Barry Trotz had this quote. I'm just going to read it for you here. It's all puck management. That's where analytics, pure possession, entry numbers don't really translate. The math works for the concept of making sure you put the puck in the right areas if you can't make a play. So you do have maybe a bit less possession numbers, but you guard yourself against counters. You guard yourself against quick strike transition type things, but you still maintain possession. We can give up puck possession at the blue line. We never talk about dumping the puck in as a team. We just say if the play is there, make the play. If it's not there, put it in a space where you can get it back or put it in a space where you're in a position to at least battle to get it back. And it's translated into good results for them. So it's it's just those little things, those little details that can separate really talented teams from good hardworking teams that you probably don't expect to be great and from analytics standpoint have no business being great but they are great yeah i mean i i guess i wouldn't be surprised if they make a a big run in the playoffs but um i i'm more inclined to think that they they'll be out in the first round or the second round um but I guess I wouldn't be surprised if they, you know, they make it to the conference finals or win the whole thing. Um, all right, uh, let's go to the Dallas Stars. They are doing well too. Uh, not as well as the Islanders because they're still in the middle of their division right now, whereas the Islanders are second in their division. Um, to be fair, that central division is yeah. nuts. And the Metropolitan isn't that good either. So, um, <laughs> well, it's good, but not as good. There's Washington, there's the Islanders, and then everyone else. Well, that's that's my point. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Anyways, it's not terrible. Uh, it's not like every team is well, below 500. But I would say it, it's, not, it's not as strong. I would say it's probably the second worst division in the league. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Um, anyways, uh, but you do bring up a good point that the Stars are in a very good division. They're definitely in the best division in the league. Um, but they, uh, they, they're of note because they started off the season um, with a 1-7-1 record um, to start off in the first nine games. 
um, which is not good, obviously. And then they went on a seven-game winning streak, which is impressive too, considering that they didn't have Kling, John Klingberg there, you know, their best defenseman uh, for for a while. Um, and I think, oh, actually, no, I think once they got Klingberg, he was able to. Then they went on a run. Um, so maybe that was a big a big reason why they they won, but uh, they started winning. But even still, they you know it's it's very impressive. Um, considering where they were at the start of the season um you know a one seven and one record is kind of tough to get out of when you start that slow um and it was it's good for resilience um aspect of that uh tyler sagan has the most points on the stars with 21 um and then you have miro heiskanen um, with 17, uh, Radulov has 15, Ben has 13, and so does Rube Hintz. Um, and Hintz has the most goals with 11 um, and and stuff like that. So um, how do the Stars stack up against everyone else during the, this run as opposed to their first 10 games? Um, I assume you have statistics here. This sounds like a question that... Um, you have all the stats here. So um, I'll take it to you. Uh, how did the stars stack up against everyone else during this run? Well, I don't have all the stats, but I do have a lot. <laughs> um, so just taking a look at uh, the first nine games, they weren't pretty. They gave up 29 goals, the fourth most in the league. Um, so for stars, their defense wasn't that good. Um, they generated 25 power play chances in their first nine games, only scored once. So the Power play success rate didn't even reach 5% in their first nine games. Um, only Carolina's penalty kill during that stretch was tested more di- more times than Dallas. So when they weren't drawing blanks on the power play, they were killing penalties. And, um, you know, it's, it's very tough to really find uh, your goal scoring when you're killing penalties and not playing your game. Um, Jamie Benn also during that run just a goal and three points. Um, Tyler Sagan was a top 20 shot generator, but only had two goals. Uh, Radulov had just one goal and four points. Sure, Rupe Heinz, all credit to him. He had five goals during those first nine games. But, you know, when you're, when your prime players getting the big bucks aren't cashing in on the chances they're getting, your team's not going to do that well especially in as tough a division as Dallas is in. Uh, but since that start, fortunately, things have turned around and they've done a lot better. Um, they actually gave up 29 goals during that 16-game stretch, the fewest in the league. So um, for, for starters, uh, they started playing a better defensive game. Um, they scored 54 goals over those 16 tilts, the seventh most manufactured in that span. Um, taking a look at generating shots, they ranked in the NHL's bottom 10 for shots on goal when they were winning all those games. Oddly enough, when they were losing, they were in the league's top 10 in generating shots. But um, I maybe it's just better shot selection, more quality shots and scoring chances that they're getting and they're cashing in on. Maybe that's uh, part of the reason why. Um, but when they were struggling, they were giving up a lot of goals. They were shooting the puck a lot at the net, and it wasn't going in. But with this new defensive-minded approach, they haven't been getting as many shots on goal, but they've been getting the goals, and they've also been getting the saves and not giving up as many chances uh, the other way. Um, they also cut down on the amount of penalties they took. They um, they had um, I I can't I can't remember what the total was, but it was is near middle of the pack. Definitely not like the first or the second most penalties taken. So that's definitely an upgrade there. Um, they had ten power play goals on forty eight chances during the sixteen game stretch. Success rate of twenty percent, definitely better than um, the not even five percent they had in their first nine games. Um, they're very good at winning faceoffs, top three team in the league. 
Only the Canucks recorded more blocked shots as a team than Dallas did during this run. And um, you, you look at the giveaways, that's probably the only glaring stat I have for this team there. They have the third most giveaways. But the counter I have to that is the Islanders had more. Yeah. And they were on quite the roll too. So um, all things considered, uh, Dallas... Um, has been doing a lot of good things uh, during this winning streak and they beat a lot of good teams in doing so they actually beat the avalanche twice which i don't know if you've heard about the avalanche but they have a lot of good forwards a lot of talent that's tough to contain yep. um so does calgary they beat them uh they beat the vancouver canucks twice who have quietly built the most underrated top six forwards in the league uh, they beat Vegas, they beat Winnipeg, they beat a surprising Edmonton Oilers team. Um, they pulled off a couple of character comebacks like the Islanders did and uh, went over Minnesota. They were down three goals early on, battled back, they won 6-3 in that yep. game. Um, they battled back to take the Oilers to overtime and then beat them in overtime. And... There were actually four tilts during this 16-game stretch that were decided by a 2-1 to scoreline, and Dallas won every single one of those games. Um, so when they're playing a team first game, Dallas is very, very tough to outsmart. Uh, so I have a correction here to make. Uh, okay. John Klingberg, I said, joined them during this streak. Uh, he actually joined halfway through. He he joined November twenty third, or he returned November twenty third, um, and that was um, that wasn't that long ago. That was like this week uh, or two weeks ago. So um, <laughs> so the yeah, the stars no, were winning the when he was gone. The, the streak ended actually two days after he yeah, returned. So. Exactly. Um, Just three day days. Right. Three days. But yeah, you're right. Um, but he's been good still, even when he's returned. He had a goal today, um, and then he had four assists um, as well. So um, he's been good. By the way, the uh, the Stars lost to the Minnesota Wild, and um, in overtime. But so they've lost three straight um, since since we've talked about them. Uh, but yeah, no, everything you were saying is. Uh, is correct. I think they they do have. Yeah, I guess their giveaways are pretty glaring. Um, I am a little bit concerned about maybe their depth. Uh, Corey Perry hasn't. He was supposed to be like. Uh, I mean, he was supposed to be their depth guy, and he, he hasn't really shown much. Um, in fact, and Jamie Ben hasn't been as good as he we're used to. I think that's another thing. Same with Joe Pavelski. So I would like to see more out of like their depth, and it seems like it's just Tyler Sagan, Alexander Radulov, Heiskanen, and John Klingberg. Uh, whereas I kind of want to see them score more, and I think that would be their big weakness here. Is um, it's basically just Tyler Sagan and Ben Bishop, um, and and maybe Miro Heiskanen. So I want to see um, more guys step up. Um, before I start to crown them and 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 I'm convinced that they're a good team, but yeah. um, but what I'm seeing, I mean, they're clearly um, a contender at the moment. But um, and what they're doing is impressive. Um, so have the team's top players answered the bell? Any surprises? I guess I kind of just talked about that. Uh, <laughs> that I I am like Tyler Sagan's been doing really well, but I I don't think. Um, you know, and Miro Heiskanen has been even better than he was last year. Um, and Radulov's been good too, but I feel like even Radulov and Ben, they should be doing better. Same with Joe Pavelski. Um, I know I'll give some leeway to Corey Perry cause he has been injured, but even still he's has nine points in 21 games. Um, that's not good. Uh, so, um, so yeah, I think there aren't too many surprises to me because this has been an issue for them for a while now. Um, but I would like to see, I guess the surprises in the negative way is that I would like to see Jamie Ben 
um, be back and return to what we're used to from him. Um, and same with Corey Perry um, and Joe Pavelski. But yeah, I don't think uh, they the main stars other than other than Tyler Sagan um, has has attributed to anything yet. Um, and I guess uh, John Klingberg is is getting going too. But um, yeah, I think it's really only Sagan has answered the bell. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, he was the top 15 shot generator, top 20 scorer in the league um, during the 16-game stretch. Uh, Radulov stepped it up to his credit. He had seven goals and 11 points during that run. A guy that I was really impressed with during this run was actually Radic Faxa, who had yep. five goals on 25 shots, five helpers to his name as well. Um, Jason Dickinson had uh, four goals and eight points. Denis Gurianov also four goals and eight points. Um, so, you know, long term, their depth still concerns me, but right now it's it's looking pretty decent. If I had to pick one guy that's really answered the bell, it's Heiskanen. Um, you take a look at yeah. his stats on the team, that's one thing. Um, during this 16-game stretch, he had 12 points, so second on the team in scoring. Um, but if you look at his stats and how they compare to the, the league's best defenseman, yeah. um, during this stretch of 16 games, he averaged 25 minutes and 10 seconds per game fifth highest overall by NHL defenders, Clefbaum, Doughty, Ryan Suter, Seth Jones were the only ones that posted a higher time on ice average per game. Um, as for shifts per game, the only two defensemen that averaged more than Heiskanen during this stretch, Ivan Profrov of the Flyers and P.K. Subin of the New Jersey Devils. Um, uh, Miro put up uh, 46 shots. That was top 10 amongst league's defensemen once again. Uh, top 20 score amongst all blue liners during the 16-game stretch. I mentioned that as well. Um, over 55 shorthanded minutes to his name during this stretch. Essel and Dell, um, I believe, leads the league uh, during that stretch. He has over 80 shorthanded minutes. Um, Miro has 31 block shots in those 16 games. Um, 15 takeaways as well, fourth most amongst defensemen. And the giveaways are unfortunately right near the top. But, you know, you take a look at some of the other guys in that conversation, Eric Carlson, Thomas Shabbat, they all log 24 to 25 minutes plus per game. Of course, you're going to be subject to more giveaways because you're playing more ice time than any other defenseman in the league. Yep. So, of course, the risk of turning the puck over is going to be higher when you play those kind of minutes. Um, so all things considered for a second-year guy that really had to step in with Klingberg out and help this team get back on track, and he's been able to do that, and he's been able to post these kind of numbers and not only do good things offensively, but do good things defensively. I took a look at um, the points website and noticed that in terms of defensive zone stick checks this season, he's in the top five Yeah, amongst defensemen. That's pretty solid. So um, Miro Heiskanen, to me, hands down, has been their best player during the streak. Yeah, the only thing I'll say about Miro Heiskanen so far is he's, he hasn't scored in the last five games. So maybe there, and the fact that John Klingberg has returned. Um, so I don't know, maybe he isn't, uh, obviously what he's done in that streak was impressive, but um, I'm not sure how sustainable it will be um, in the long term, especially with Klingberg healthy um, there. But um, yeah, of, of course, what he's been doing is impressive. Um, in, in, in hindsight, how many defensemen do you expect in this league to score 20 goals a year? Not too many. Not too many, no. No, that's true. But, like, I don't even know if he'll get 20 goals is my point. <laughs> if, if, he, if he gets, like, 10 to 15 goals and, like, 40 to 50 points, I think Miro's done his job and he plays good defensive hockey. Yeah. The goal scoring is for guys like Sagan, Radulov, and Jamie Benn to figure out. Those guys need to really bring the punch and... Um, once we're in mid-season, 
if they're not doing that, then the Stars are playing with fire because I think it's it's going to be dangerous for them if they keep relying on Hudobin and Bishop to only give up one goal, two goals per game. Like, that's just not sustainable. Right, right, of course. Um, okay. Uh, and then the last question we have here, can the Stars continue their strong play moving forward? Um, yeah, actually, I do think they can. I do have their concerns, as I've mentioned before. Pavelski needs to step up. Corey Perry needs to step up. Um, and so does, um, you know, John Klingberg as well. But um, I think there is, you know, I think there is something like a method to their madness. We didn't even talk about, like, Ben Bishop, who, um, you know, he... He's he's back on his grind. He has a nine twenty eight save percentage. Um, and Anton Kudobin has been incredible as well with a nine thirty one save percentage. Yeah. Um. So like that's a big reason why the stars are doing so well. It's not just like their skaters are doing eh, but like they can get by with winning one nothing or two nothing, which is um impressive in itself. So I think as long as the goaltending is good and they have like a really good defense. Um we didn't even mention Essa Lindell, who's one of the more underrated uh defensemen in the league. Um I think um yeah, I think they can this is sustainable and they'll probably make the playoffs. I know it's tough um with every like in, in terms of their division, but um, just on the pace that they're going with, I think they'll still make the playoffs. And they could make a deep run, too. Um, I just don't know. The only big concern is their depth um, for me. So that's where I'm not... Sh- like, if it's going to fall apart, it's going to be because the depth guys um, couldn't pull through when the star players are not pulling through either. So, um, yeah, what do you say? Yeah, so what you're saying is the death guys need to cover the star players' asses the entire season. Basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, I mean, that's, that's how winning works, right? <laughs> well, I mean, you your can star, say that. Your, I, star play, your star players have to be bailed out by the death guys. <laughs> basically, well, I mean, I, I guess you could say that about every team, but you know what I mean. Like, um, yeah. Yeah, all right. I don't know if I have to explain it more. But let's... <laughs> no, no, no. No, I get what you're putting down. Um I also I also think well we'll, we'll talk a bit about uh, Bishop and Udobin because they're critical to the success of this team as well. Um, you know, regardless of how much um, the Dallas Stars um, can put the puck in the net, you know, when they put the puck in the net, free willy nilly, and you know, got goals galore. Just like the Islanders a couple of years ago, they had no goaltending, right, and that's part of the reason why in a year where they probably could have made the playoffs with all the talent they had, they didn't because the goaltending and the defense just weren't up to snuff. And now you get the team of Bishop and Udobin, who I swear to God are probably not from this planet because they're playing out of their minds right now. Um, During this 16 game run, the stars gave up one goal nine times and won all nine games. Surprisingly, um, only two games they surrendered two goals. Dallas won both of them. In the lone game where they gave up four plus goals, they won in overtime. Uh, and during this run, Ben Bishop was no in 11 games, 1.86 goals against, 941 save percentage. Um, in a recent quarterly NHL panel poll for the Vezina, he got 40 points and finished uh, fourth out of a list of like 10 to 15 goalies. He got three first place votes in that poll. Um, you look at Anton Hudobin during this run, worthy of a Vezina uh, trophy nomination, if it was just for this run, uh, six, Oh, and one in seven games, 1.57 goals against save percentage, almost at nine fifty. And that game against Chicago, probably the best game I've ever seen him play. Like, there was this sequence of saves that he made where it's just like, you're certain that he pulled a groin for starters. He didn't. You, you, you thought he would, but he didn't. And on top of that, the puck stays out. Right. Like, it's, it's just incredible how dialed in both Ben Bishop and Anton Udobin are right now. And, um, you know, he was he was pretty good last year. Uh, the record didn't show it, but he was pretty good last year backing up Ben Bishop. 
he's even better this year. Um, you know, five on five save percentage on November 19th, the Stars had the fifth best save percentage at five on five in the league. Um, they they started 324 times in the defensive zone at that time, the fourth most in the entire league. So you, you can talk about, you know, how much work Ben Bishop and Anton Udobin have had to deal with, but, um, you know, they, they've been uh, they've been asked to stay on their toes a lot this season, and, and both of them have been delivering in more ways than one. I think, ultimately, if the team camaraderie is there and everyone's stepping up and pulling their weight, the Stars are going to be one of those teams in the Western Conference come playoff time. You roll your eyes and you go, oh, great, we got these guys up against us. Um, that 4-2 win against Vegas probably played one of the best opening periods all season. Um, they were using their speed to their advantage. You add the leadership of Pavelski and Perry from the offseason. I think that's really going to start to shine in a little bit. Um, and just the game plans that their coach, Jim Montgomery, brings up. Um, in a recent episode of the NHL Executive Suite podcast, uh, General Manager Jim Nill was um talking about all the traits that he saw in Jim Montgomery when he hired him and how he was so different from everybody else and he mentioned how Jim Montgomery knows how to handle the newer generation of players that maybe older coaches in today's game couldn't handle as well as he can and there were times where Jim was laying out a game plan to be team A or team B and Jim Nell was thinking to himself oh I don't know if this is gonna work but you know I'll, I'll trust him and Jim Montgomery put out that game plan and they won right and when you have that level of trust in a coach from the GM to the players you can do some pretty spectacular things and um the Dallas Stars could be a very special team if they keep playing like this yeah, um, yeah. I guess I wouldn't be surprised if they make it to the Stanley Cup or even win it. But um, I, I'm still, I'm still. I guess I always tr like glare at their flaws and stuff like that. Where I'm like, their depth. I don't know if it's gonna be enough, but we'll see. Um, I, I feel like I feel like every team, in one way or another, has flaws. Yeah, know, of course. In the middle of the season, and there's ebbs and flows. For but... sure. You're, you're, you're right when you, about when you talk about Dallas because these are the flaws that have plagued them for many, many years, and they still haven't been entirely fixed yet. Yeah, for sure. Um, that's about it. Or that does it for us here. Um, so uh, you can catch us on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Spotify. Um, our, our Twitter is Lace Up Podcast. If you haven't followed us there, please do. Um, our Facebook is Lace Them Up, and um, that's about it. I'm Brett Dubuff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 196 of the Lace Them Up podcast.